Hey, photographers, welcome to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, and really I'm just here to help you build a sustainable photography business. That certainly means helping you improve your photographic skills and enabling you to become a stronger business owner, but it also means helping you work more efficiently so you don't get burnt out in the long run. We are sponsored by PhotographersEdit.com, custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back for another Boca Podcast episode, and uh, I'm joined by a brand new guest today. Rebecca Rice is here with me. Rebecca, I really appreciate you making time for all of us, and in fact, reaching out and, and asking if you could be part of the show. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me. Well, and we're going to get into something that's kind of interesting. I don't know, you know, I think we may have it may have come up in conversation. We've done, let's say I've done close to 450 interviews now, but mini sessions is not a topic that we've really focused on. And that's what we're going to get into here a little bit later. I think this is a really important topic at the moment for multiple reasons. We'll also kind of expand on that in just a little bit. But uh, before we do that, one of my favorite questions and one that we ask on a regular basis here at the podcast has to do with brand position. And I think this is a great way to kind of introduce your brand as well. In fact, you and I are just getting to know each other. Uh, what First of all, what market are you based in? Or you told me you're actually getting ready to move into a new market. What markets are you based in currently? Yes. So um, right now we are in the North Dallas area in Texas, okay. but in a couple of months we're relocating to Nashville. Which is really cool. Uh, we, we were chatting before I hit the record button, and um, I mentioned that I live just a couple hours or so from Nashville. I've had the, the chance to go up there countless times at this point. It's a really, really great place to hang out. Um, but oh yeah, have you? Before we actually talk about your brand position specifically, have you looked at your brand in relation to the Nashville market already? Have had you already started photographing there? I have. We are starting up with some fall and Christmas minis out in Nashville. So I've got several booked there already. Cool. Um, it's a pretty similar market to my Texas market. So that's good. Interesting. Similar in what way? The client base is pretty similar. Um, the area that I'm hitting isn't actually Nashville. It's a little bit south of Nashville, Franklin, Brentwood area. Yeah. And that's a, a lot similar to um, my area in Texas where the Frisco, McKinney, Plano kind of area. So if you're not from Texas, you may not know what that means. But <laughs> <laughs> it's the, the, the client base, the you know kind of area is very, very similar. Okay. I mean, Franklin, the little bit that I know of it is is actually a relatively high-end area too. So you're tapping into a pretty great client base there. Yes. And I love it. That's kind of how um, like Plano and Frisco is over here um, in Texas. I, I'm, I wouldn't consider myself, you know, upper income, but we're more middle-class. There's a good mix of two, but you can go down the street in Plano and there's million dollar homes all over the place. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it, the market's pretty similar. Okay. Well, that's cool. So you have some awareness of the market already. So with that, um, talk to me about brand position. If for anybody listening in, maybe this is your first episode Brand position is something we talk about a lot here on the podcast, largely because it's not really discussed in the industry enough. Brand position very simply is the value proposition that our business offers to whatever marketplace that we're working in. Hopefully the value proposition is unique. Rebecca, how would you sum up your business's brand position? 
Yeah. So I am a family photographer and educator, and I um, really market to those busy moms because mini sessions is my bread and butter. And so those busy moms, most of them are working moms. So the Mm. husband and wife are both working and their time is limited. And so I offer something that's quick, that's easy, and that they can get an excellent experience out of. I, you know, I'm, I'm listening to this, and I don't know that I've seen and or heard any photographer talk about specifically marketing to busy moms. Like that as a brand position statement, something like portrait photographer, the portrait photographer for busy moms would be such a brilliant brand position statement just to have like plastered on the homepage of your site because <laughs> it immediately sets a precedent, which is unique. Again, I haven't seen this on other photographers' sites, but it also sets you up in a brilliant way to then sell the mini sessions. Hey, you're a busy mom, the mini session doesn't take much of your time. And here's how wonderful it is. I mean, it it seems like just a a kind of a win-win situation. So it's a pretty strong position. And I hope you have the opportunity to just really run with that in the Nashville market too. Oh yeah, I I for sure hope so. (laughs) Well, that's really cool. Okay, so let's keep moving though. Talk to me about experience as a business owner. Uh, My understanding is that you're relatively new to the photography industry. How long have you been in business? total officially three years, um, unofficially practicing and all the things an additional two, three years. So, okay. um, yeah. Okay. So we'll just call it the officially three year mark, um, which is yeah. wonderful. First of all, I mean, it seems like you've got great momentum already, but within that time frame, I'd be curious to understand your perspective about customer experience. What has been one of the most important principles for you specifically behind providing a wonderful customer experience for your clients? Yeah, I think having excellent client communication is the biggest part in there being able to provide as much value as I can and really putting my clients first, but preparing them for our session, educating them for our session um, so that, you know, they follow my style guide and, you know, my goal is to answer any question that they have before they ask it. So communication is key. Interesting. Okay. So I wrote down communication. I'm taking notes here, but, I, but I'm going to put in front of that proactive communication. Yes. Like you're, you're very intentional in that it sounds like. And I also wrote down prep or preparation and education. This is a really interesting combination. I think a powerful combination of words. The style guide that you're talking about, is it like a, a multi-page PDF that you send to them? How, what does that look like? Yeah, it's a PDF that I send via email. Um, I could print it, but since I shoot in such high volume with minis, email is so much easier. And so I call it my client experience guide because I talk about what to expect before, during, and after our session. I include styling tips for the whole family, um, some tips to get the kids to cooperate, you know, location ideas, things like that. Anything that I can do to help educate them. I tell them what I look for in a location um, that matches my style so that we don't get on location and they ask me to shoot in a place that doesn't match my style. So, yep, all that included in my client experience guide. Interesting. I think it's an interesting combination of you know, I mean, photographers, a lot of times we we have a particular ideal in mind about how we want to run a business and or how we want to actually photograph what our photographic style looks like, what we're actually giving to the world at large or the market at large. And so you're adding significant value by proactively communicating at the same time, very kind of subtly saying this is the style 
in which oh, I yeah. photograph. And this is how we're going to make that happen. <laughs> I think that's pretty Absolutely. brilliant. Absolutely. Yep. That's really not cool. Not so subtly. <laughs> not, oh, yeah, maybe not so subtly. But nonetheless, I mean, it's you're, you're proactively managing expectations, with, which I think is, is super, super important when it comes to having or creating a great client experience. Um, did you get this idea for the style guide from somebody else? Is an idea that you kind of came up with on your own or some combination of the above? Yeah. So, um, I learned from Amy and Jordan and they have a style guide for their like engagement and wedding couples. Um, they're not so much in the family space, but I took that and really made it my own for what I knew my clients would need. Um, and as a mom myself, what would be helpful for me going into family photos. And so I kind of took that, that mind mind space and, um, put it out on paper into something that they could have as a resource to answer all their questions. Very cool. Well, I, I think this is a, a great reminder for all of us about the significance of proactive management of our clients or potential clients' expectations through good, very detailed communication. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. Let me jump to the next question, though. I mean, you just mentioned being a mom yourself. Talk to us about time management and how you're juggling I mean, running a business, being a mom, uh, also getting ready to move, which is is a bit of a taxing process itself. How, is there a particular workflow tip or technique that you would recommend to our listeners based on your experience? Yeah. So I'm an Enneagram three, so I'm always on the go. Um, for me, it's hard to check out because I always want to, you know, be on to the next project. And sure. so for me, the best thing that I've found to be able to balance the family time and, you know, the work time is to have a set time that I turn off my computer and put it away and don't touch it. And that, that was something that was really hard for me because if somebody is emailing me or sending me DMs after hours, I had to be okay with not responding to them until tomorrow. And I think setting those like natural boundaries has been the biggest game changer to keep everything balanced, to make sure that I'm spending appropriate time in my business, but also allowing myself um, or giving myself permission to turn it off and to spend time with my family in that time. Do you, have you ever considered turning off notifications for some of those apps too after hours? Yes. Actually, most of my, most of my apps don't have notifications and I turned off the little like bubble on there too, Yes, because I just can't stand seeing all the bubbles. And I know. So, um, with, you know, all the numbers just adding up and I try to, you know, check into my email only a few times a day. I try to check into certain social media platforms only a few times a day. That way, you know, I can just have the freedom to put it down and yeah. not have to constantly look up because our phones can can rule us if we let them. And so all the dings, all the things, I usually silence it or I'll put things on do not disturb during work hours so that I can really focus on whatever task I have. And then I'll check in when I want to, not when my phone tells me. Yeah, that's that's the brilliance of getting to run our own business. If we do it right, we get to be the boss. We don't let other yes. people be our boss. I mean, in fact, I think for me anyway, that's one of the, the major appeals to being my own kind of boss or business owner, ultimately running my own business, doing my own thing, generating income for myself the way that I want to is that I get to decide how I do things. And I, I think that has kind of gotten lost. I mean, there's a certain even I mean, sadly, I think even an emotional appeal to like a dopamine hit that we get from seeing a notification pop up oh, right. and somebody yep. is giving us attention. And now we get to go check out what that is, whether it's a comment or a DM or, or whatever it might be. But the reality is that that really can eat into our life on the bigger picture. And if we have any kind of relationships to pay attention to, it's certainly going to eat into those if we let it. So 
Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you highlight the significance of this. And you talked about a particular schedule, like a time frame in which you shut off your computer and, and don't actively communicate with your clients. What is that time frame during the week? Yeah. So um, right now my kids go to daycare. They're going to be staying home with me when we move. So all of this is going to be thrown Whoa, out the window. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to change a lot of things, but right now they're at daycare. And so when they get home, um, my husband brings them home, then that's, that's my cue. And, you know, I turn it off and it's them time. I'm not exactly sure what that's going to look like when, you know, everything changes and they're home with me full time. Um, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But for now, it's it's when they're when they're home, I'm turned off. That's really great. Well, let me actually move on to another question about time management. And this is specifically outsourcing or delegation. Um, I know that that this can be a bit of an, a, uh, I don't know, like it, it can create some apprehension, I guess, uh, even for myself. So, I mean, I run an editing company and, you know, so <laughs> innately we're talking about the idea of outsourcing or delegation in that. But we have email management and accounting and album design and various administrative tasks. I mean, there's so many different things that we can delegate. Is this something that you've experienced or experimented with in your business? What's that been like for you? Yeah, definitely. Oh, I couldn't do it without outsourcing. <laughs> um, I outsourced my editing. That was the first thing to go because I mean, just the weight that was lifted yes. um, was incredible. So yep. definitely outsource my editing. And then I have an assistant who delivers my galleries to my clients. Um, she handles some of my social media and helps me out with emails. So it's a good little help there. That's huge. Yeah. Is that somebody that is local to you or is it virtual? She's actually in Nashville, so she will be local to me. That's cool. <laughs> She's been virtual, yeah. um, so that'll be kind of fun having her close. That, that that makes such a massive difference when you can trust somebody else to handle what can at times be busy work that gets in the way of the stuff that actually grows our business um, oh, that yeah. we actually need to be involved in. And I, I'm I'm curious, how did you go about finding that person that is your admin assistant? Yeah, she, you know, I've actually, um, was exploring, I was interviewing a few people at the time and she's a friend of a friend. So I was in Nashville visiting about a year ago before I knew I was going to move there. And, um, we had met up for coffee just because she was there with my friend. And when we got to talking, she said she was a VA. And, um, so through conversation, once we got home, I called her, I was like, Hey, no, I'm actually meeting a VA and we really clicked um, naturally. So um, it was a really good fit just from the start. And so I was able to um, onboard her pretty quickly and get started. Very cool. Do you recommend, um, how do you recommend, I guess, to photographers listening? And if they're interested in this idea of even finding a part-time VA, how do they best go about that? I mean, I, it seems like you kind of happened upon it. Do you make do you have any <laughs> suggestions or recommendations? Yeah, I've heard great things about, I think it's called Outsourcing with Love. Okay. They they have like a collection of VAs that they've vetted on their website to be able to interview and see who you have a good fit with. But the girl that runs that is just amazing. And so um, that's a really great community to check out. Cool. And we'll link to that actually in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. For everybody listening in, make sure you take advantage of the show notes. I say this a lot, but Haley, who produces our show, shout out to Haley. She she actually does a really great job of compiling all the show notes, the talking points, the resources uh, that we can link to in the show notes, bocapodcast.com, or if you use an app that has the show notes in it, of course, you can check that out there as well uh, in your podcast app. But make sure you take advantage of those. We'll certainly link to Rebecca's site, which normally at this point, Rebecca, I would have already mentioned a website and Instagram, uh, it seems like these days. So let me just throw that out there really quick. Rebecca's website is Rebecca 
R-E-B-E-C-C-A, ricephoto.com. And then on Instagram, Rebecca Rice Photography, just like it sounds. And uh, we'll link to those in the show notes as well. Talk to me about a, a really important or impactful business self-help book. It could be a photography book that you've read or listened to in the last few years that you just really enjoy. Yeah, my absolute top book that I've read, um, it was super easy for me, was Traction by Gino Wickman. Oh my goodness. Really? It was a okay. game changer okay. for my business. Um, for me, it really helped me to think like a CEO and to get a good feel for how my business was doing, You know, really feel that pulse and then really explore where I wanted to go. So I read that book the end of 2019 and um, it's just, it's been really, really good. Interesting. Okay. I just pulled it up here. Yeah. So Gina Wickman, um, Traction, Get a Grip on Your Business. When you talk about getting a, a feel for the pulse of your business and how it's actually doing, what do you mean by that? One of the things that um, he talks about in the book is to keep a scorecard. Hmm. So it is a 13 week at a glance and you pick certain um, like KPIs or um, key performance indicators that you want to keep up with every single week. So every week I know how many visitors have come to my website. I know how many new people are on my email list, you know, my email open rates and all that stuff. There's um, several different things that I keep track of. And so um, my VA compiles those for me and I'm able to open it up every day or once a week and see where I am, um, not only this week, but compared to the last 13 weeks. So that scorecard helps me know if I'm on track to hit my goals, if you know I'm falling behind in certain areas. It's, it's a really great um, indicator for my business. Wow. Okay. So is the, the format of that scorecard something you pulled from the book or did you kind of put together what was, as you pointed out, the, the most significant KPIs for your business specifically? Um, it outlines the whole thing in the book. I did adjust it to my own because it's not specifically for photography. It's just as a business owner in general. Um, so they give some really great examples of things to be tracking, but then I threw in some of my own that are unique to photography or to, you know, my leads or the different areas and things that I wanted to track. You know, we've talked about quite a bit, um, at this point and probably still not enough about the significance of data. The, the importance of numbers, whether we're talking about our finances or as you pointed out, these various KPIs, you know, maybe it could be something as simple as looking at Google analytics, but data is so important. And I don't think that it's a natural thing for a lot of photographers who would probably consider themselves artist types to, to consider proactively spending time looking at regularly. And so I'm really glad that you bring up this book. I don't think that anybody's mentioned this book and all the episodes that we've done uh, so I'm glad that we've got that too. And we'll link to that in the show notes. And I'd highly, highly recommend for everybody listening, if you haven't read this book, to go check it out. Because if you're not actively or proactively paying attention to the data associated with your business, yes, that includes finances, but it also includes some of these other indicators that Rebecca just mentioned, uh, you're missing out on an opportunity to build the business that you could be building because you're kind of running blind and um, running a business on feelings can only take us so far. And, and uh, right. I think we all have to be willing to acknowledge that in order to grow. So this is great. I'm, I'm really glad. We'll, we'll put a link to that book in the show notes that I was just talking about, bocapodcast.com. And uh, Rebecca, this actually brings us to our primary focus and conversation for today, which has to do with the, how to generate extra income with many sessions. And you know, we're in the middle right now. For anybody listening to this episode in the future, um, I'm hoping by the time that you listen to it that we're <laughs> we're well past this nightmare of a situation with with COVID that we've been dealing with uh, for months now. 
And it's it's just taken such a massive toll in our industry and photographers' businesses. And it's it's a really tough thing to, to deal with, very simply put. And naturally, one of the points of conversation that comes up in a situation like this is how to go about, if we're not able to generate revenue for our, our business, generate income for our, ourselves, our, our lives, how do we then go about creating additional revenue? What would that process look like? What means um, by which we're able to generate this additional income? And one of the things that you mentioned to me leading up to this conversation is that last fall you generated over $30,000 in revenue from mini sessions when photography was just a part-time thing for you, uh, which is really a pretty mind-blowing concept to think about. Like, you know, a lot of photographers would probably be totally stoked working full-time to, to hit at least 30 grand in their first year. You did it part-time during the fall. So I, I'm curious, first of all, before we get into how you made this happen, how did you even get the idea in the first place? Was Did you see another photographer doing it? Uh, was it something that just popped to mind one day? How did that start? Um, honestly, I was pretty much forced into it because I was a busy mom, um, wife, had a full-time job, and I didn't have another choice but to make the most of the time that I had. And so in my opinion and what I found is that mini sessions are the biggest bang for your buck. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to your time and so my time was so limited that I had to stack sessions. And, um, so as I was, you know, exploring this idea of mini sessions, I would stack in as many as I could in a time block and then, um, add upselling to the mix and it just increases your profit even more. So I, I really had no other choice because I had to make the most of the very small time that I had. Yeah. Well, I mean, when when you're in a situation like that, that forces you to figure out a solution for something, um, there's a certain level of urgency that pushes us to to look for opportunities, probably in a way that we wouldn't normally. Um, right. and, and, I, and yet, I think from those experiences can potentially come really compelling business ideas, right? We're looking for a solution oh, to something. So you've got these mini sessions. Now it, you're like, it, I have to, this really is a format that works for me. I'm a busy mom. Um, and yet I need to generate income. Did you test it out initially with a couple of clients or potential clients, maybe even friends? What What was the process getting started? Yeah. Nope. I dove in head first. <laughs> I love <laughs> it. Probably would have been better to test it, but you know, that's not how I work. So I literally jumped in head first. My very first set of minis was in the spring and somebody had posted in a mom group asking if any photographers were doing spring minis. And so me being a couple months into business, like I am, you know, I raised my hand. And so I put together this day of minis. I ended up booking 16 spots on my very first try wow, and loved it. It worked super well for me. Um, I learned a lot from that set of minis, but that really catapulted me into, you know, realizing that minis could be really profitable and taking advantage of that in the coming seasons. So you talk about profit there. What was the fee structure for the sessions and has that changed since? Um, I first started out at 125 for 15 minutes and five images. Oh, I think I gave seven. And I was literally pulling those numbers out of thin air. Didn't run my cost <laughs> of doing business. Yeah. I was like, oh, this sounds like a good price. <laughs> Don't suggest doing that. So now I do structure my pricing differently. Um, I charge 285 for 15 minutes and five images. Um, And I deliver 20 photos for the full gallery and I upsell them. Um, Individual photos for $65 each, 
sets of three for $90 or the full gallery for $200. So the people that buy the full gallery are paying me $485 for 15 minutes. Wow. Okay. So first of all, yeah. And I'm I'm thinking about this as a fee structure. First of all, major props to you for like having the guts to to go forward with something like that, because it is a premium price point for that time frame. Mm -hmm. And I know that um, for somebody who's not making as much money, who's trying to get as much value for as little money as possible, this is just automatically like it it filters them out, which is fine, right? So you're going after a particular market segment. And by the way, Franklin is going to be perfect for that. (laughs) Franklin, Tennessee. Um, But that being said, was was there a certain level of apprehension that you had? And I mean, even $125 for 15 minutes automatically filters out a lot of people. Did you get negative feedback? Did it create a certain amount of apprehension in charging this premium? I mean, always. Um, there's, there's always people that tell me that I'm too expensive, but I am pretty confident in knowing who my target audience is. And I'm looking for those people that, you know, the moms have amazing jobs. The, the, I already mentioned that they are working moms and they're busy and they have yeah. amazing jobs. And so 285 is very doable for them. And so it did take me some some time and some guts to work up to that price. Um, even breaking the 200 mark, I was like, oh my gosh, nobody's going to pay $200 for 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, But they do. And so by, you know, the more that I did it, um, the more confident I became mm. because people just kept booking them. And so even at 285, I'm fully booked all the time um, with my my seasonal minis. I, I don't have a problem booking at that price. So I could probably go higher, but I'm terrified too. So, <laughs> you know, it, it just starts all over. So those those sessions that you did during the fall, and I'm, I'm assuming that the number of sessions that you want to do in a year is growing, um, but the sessions that you did in the fall to generate that 30 plus K, it was a 13 mini session date series, if you will. How did you go about marketing those mini sessions. In fact, you mentioned to me before we started recording that you actually had five steps in that marketing process. Will you share those with our listeners? Yeah. So um, the first step is to give myself at least six weeks to advertise. Um, That's one thing that when people run minis, they don't give themselves enough time and they're trying two weeks out to book all their spots and it's just not going to happen. And so um, I give myself at least six weeks. And honestly, in July, I do a Christmas in July special and I fill a ton of Christmas spots in July. And those, they actually are booking with me without even picking a date. So they're locking in a price and they pay their deposit. And then I allow them to pick their date a couple months down the road when we're closer. So last year I filled 24 Christmas spots in three days um, in, yeah, in Christmas in July without a date. So that went super well. Um, this year I did Christmas in July and filled a whole bunch of spots too. I don't have the exact number, but what I'm finding is that even through COVID people are still booking minis. I'm not having any trouble, you know, people, the same people that booked last year are still booking this year. So, um, that's good for us, but definitely the, the time to advertise. Yeah. Six weeks. So that's, that's interesting. It gives, I mean, I'm actually thinking about, you know, you, you said you do Christmas in July and so, and they're putting a deposit down. How much is the deposit? 50%. Okay, 50%. So 100 and what is that? 140 bucks, $143, yeah. something like that. So it makes the the premium that you're charging even more manageable when all they have to do is put that half down. So it's kind of an right. easy buy-in, which I think is really interesting. And I'm assuming that the marketing, and maybe you're going to get into this, but the, the marketing verbiage that you use is, is compelling and that they, I mean, in fact, you actually use the, the words lock down price in that marketing verbiage are you or the copy are you are you suggesting to them that they 
are going to pay more if they wait until Christmas? What does it sound like? Yes. So I um, usually tell them that my minis are on sale for $100 off. So I tell them usually they're $385, but you're locking in at $285. And now I typically don't sell my minis full price. I I always have that hundred dollar off, you know, special, if you will, going. Okay. Um, but it increases the perceived value of that mini. So if they see that usually it's 370 or 385, but they can get a hundred dollars off, that's a steal. Sure. Um, and so they're much more likely to jump on that because it still is premium pricing. Huh. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Good bit of psychology going on there. So mm-hmm. you start with that six week lead time. What's the next step? Yeah. So I open up a single date at a time and Mm. that's something that's super important that a lot of people miss this step too, because they think, well, if I'm going to have three dates in the fall, I'll just give my clients the choice of any of their dates. Well, by doing that, they are actually decreasing their chances of booking because when I do one date at a time, I'm creating scarcity and they have, they feel that need. It's that, um, that psychology again, they feel the need to jump on it right then if they only see eight spots instead of 24 spots open. So I open one date at a time, um, a two hour time block. And then when it fills, I open up another date. And so it gives me the opportunity to say, wow, I had incredible response. Now, you know, all my spots filled, I had to open up another date. I could have been planning the whole time to open up, you know, two, three, four dates. Um, but by opening one at a time, it just creates that sense of urgency, the yep. sense of scarcity, and yep. then makes me look in really high demand. Okay, cool. What's the third step? Yep. The third step is to um, email or I I send an email to my email list first. So six weeks out, opening one day at a time, my email list gets first priority. Um, And I, when I first started booking, I didn't have an email list. So um, that, you know, may or may not apply, but I typically book you know, a a good handful of spots from my email list. And I send that to them about a week before opening up to the public. And so that I'm a big believer in email lists. And um, so if you have one, definitely utilize it. And I mean, you talked about scarcity, but here you're talking about exclusivity too, right? If you can kind of prop up the fact that you are giving them a heads up ahead of everybody else, um, it also creates a certain sense of urgency, which is really interesting as well. Okay. So then what's the fourth step? Fourth step is to go public with it. And so, of course, I share to my own platforms, but I post to a lot of local Facebook groups. To me, I found that that's the best free marketing there is. Mom groups are really popular in my area. They have, you know, thousands and thousands of moms that are in our area um, locally. And some of those groups do allow advertising. And so I'll open it up a week after my VIP list into the mom groups. And that's where the vast majority of my spots will fill. Interesting. Okay. So, I mean, would you say that that's 80%, 90% of, of your kind of marketing platform, if you will, is the Facebook groups? Yes. Probably about 80% wow. with the others being return clients. Okay. All right. Well, that totally makes sense. All right. Then what's the fifth step? Yep. Fifth step is if there's any, um, any spots that I didn't fill or I'm having trouble filling, that's when I'll go ahead and start Facebook ads. I try to, you know, use as much of the free platforms that I can, but I will fill a couple spots with Facebook ads if I need to. Um, and you know, fairly inexpensive ads, we're talking five, $10 a day. Um, I'll run it for a week and I'll fill whatever remaining spots I need. Will you give us a little bit of an idea of what one of those Facebook ads might look like? How, How are you able to most effectively convert with them? 
Yeah. So my favorite kind um, is not as common, but I love using the messenger Facebook ads because you can set up a series of automated responses. Okay. And um, when I'm booking in mom groups, a lot of my communication is done through messenger anyways. And so it's like a natural area that a lot of those moms are used to operating in. And so I'll set up this Facebook ad that, you know, has compelling copy, great image. And then when they click it, it sends them to messenger and an automated response shows up and basically says, Hey, thanks so much for your interest in my minis. Here's the date, the pricing. And then I can have, um, like three options for them to pick. The first is, are you ready to go ahead and book? You know, if, and that allows me to tell them open time slots. The next is, you know, asking a question, do I have any other dates available? And, you know, you can set up whatever you want for those responses. Um, they can either be automated responses or it triggers me to go in and, and respond. And so if they say, yes, I'd love to know time slots, that's when I go in and I send them three time slot options. I never send more than three again, because I want to create scarcity and urgency. And so I'll send them three available time slots and then they can book from there. And I'll, um, I use Dubsado for my booking. And so I'll plug them um, into Dubsado and my workflow is 90% automated. So um, I literally fill out a short form and it sends the contract invoice, all of the series of emails that we talked about at the very beginning, the whole nine yards does it automatically. So this, first of all, I love the fact that you use Messenger because it plays into that very thing we were talking about earlier, which is, you know, the dopamine hit of getting a message from somebody and then it actually encourages actual engagement and conversation and back and forth. But you're also automating it. Are you using the Facebook platform for that or some kind of a third party plugin? Nope. I use the Facebook uh, Messenger through Ad Center. It allows you to um, automate some of those responses. So if they ask if there's any other dates available... I can have an automated response that says my other dates. The only thing that I don't automate is the time slots because obviously that's pretty fluid. And so um, that's when I go ahead and step in. But I love that Messenger allows me to have a conversation with them. So if they have any hesitations, I can address that. If they have you know, any other questions or things like that, I can address that. If, if people just send them from a Facebook ad to you know, a, a Calendly or you know, a use session yeah. you know, form, then it doesn't give you the opportunity to talk with them. And maybe they're wondering if 15 minutes is long enough. I can reassure them through messenger. So I just think it's so powerful to be able to um, have the freedom to have a conversation with them. Well, I think it's a kind of best of both worlds though, too. I mean, you're, you're utilizing automation, which is something that I think a lot of photographers don't utilize enough in 2020. There's so much either inexpensive or even free technology that we can leverage that will really help us run our businesses more efficiently, which of course means more freedom, more flexibility as business owners. Uh, but then you're, you're throwing in the personal engagement at the end, which I think is, like I said, just the best of both worlds. It's really interesting. I wanted to go ahead and, and just shout out episode 331. Uh, I had Henry Chen on the show. And we talked about an introduction to, or we, we dealt with an introduction to chatbot, chatbots for marketing And he was talking about an automated system there that helps with this kind of engagement. If anybody who's listening in is curious, you can go check out episode 331 uh, to kind of follow up on this conversation of of using messages or messenger uh, or similar platforms for the sake of, of good communication. But let me actually jump to the mini session itself Rebecca, um, you know, we, I, first of all, I love that you have such a a very structured, organized way of marketing to the potential client, bringing them in. But then when it comes time to actually photograph the session, I'd be curious what you would consider your keys for a really great mini session are. 
Yeah. So the first key is to make sure that it's structured right. Um, You know, mini sessions, I see so many photographers use the term mini session and what they're shooting is not actually mini sessions. Hmm. And so um, it's really important to understand that minis should be 10 to 20 minute sessions. I do mine back to back. um, And you know, anything longer than that is not a mini. So a 30 minute session is not a mini session. Hmm. And if they're giving more than five images, it's not a mini session. So those, even if it's a 15 minute session, but you're giving 10 images, that's too many. And so minis are supposed to be a bite of the cake, not a slice, not half of it, not the whole cake, um, just a little <laughs> tiny bite. <laughs> that's really great. I, you're you're kind of laughing as you were talking about those who are kind of stepping beyond those bounds. What oh, is yeah. What is the what is the drawback? And I think in some ways this may be a rhetorical question, but what is the drawback to offering more, more time, more images in this context? Yeah. You're losing out on your profit like a hundred percent because if I can, you know, stack four minis in one hour and I can shoot four and you're charging the same, but shooting two, you're literally making half the money that I am. And so it, it, it only makes sense to structure it correctly so that you can maximize your profit. All right. So take us to the second key behind these mini sessions. Yes. Key number two, upsell the full gallery. This is where you take that, that profit maximizing like to the next level. Um, and I had talked about my pricing structure, but one thing is when you include too many images, you can't upsell the full gallery. And so when I say upselling, I'm not talking about in-person sales, IPS. I'm all of my upselling is done automatically through hmm. their shopping cart. Okay. So I use shoot proof yeah. and it allows them to download just the five that came with their images. Cause you can limit the downloads or they can go in and purchase additional images. And so they can buy just one, they can buy sets of three or they can buy the full gallery. And so the majority of people will either buy three or the full gallery. Nobody ever buys one because that doesn't make any sense or, and hardly do they walk away with just the five that, um, came with their session. So upselling is a huge part of it. Do you feel, um, and and I was going to actually ask you this a little bit later on, but let's just kind of bring it in now. Do you feel like you miss out and not doing IPS or post-session sales uh, versus this automated process? Because I mean, honestly, I'm a huge fan of the notion of automation. In fact, when I was shooting weddings, we were using a service called Pictage and I didn't do IPS. We we were really excited about the idea that we didn't have to worry about sales after the fact because Pictage had this kind of automated system that drew in clients and generate that you know thousands of dollars ultimately in print sales without really having to lift a finger. So is is that the thought process, the draw for you? What are you what are you thinking with all of this? Yeah, I for sure don't have time to do IPS for all of my minis clients. I'll shoot a hundred clients in the fall. Wow. And so, um, I don't have time to do a hundred appointments with people. And so that's why, you know, the, the automated upselling in the gallery just makes the most sense. It, it brings in that extra revenue and it's no extra time for me. I love it. <laughs> I think this, <laughs> this is, this is my style of business. Okay. So yes. we're starting with the right structure, which really what we're talking about there is making sure that we don't go overboard with the time and the amount of product or the, the images being offered in the end, upsell the full gallery. What's the next key? Um, excellent communication, which we did talk about a little bit. Um, but some of the key emails that I send my clients, um, after they book, 
I do send them a questionnaire, which not a lot of portrait photographers do. A lot of wedding photographers send questionnaires, but I just think that they're so um, valuable to be able to get to know your client a little bit before your session because minis are so short. So I do send a questionnaire. Um, I send my client experience guide, and then I send what I call my final info email, which is this huge long email about a week before their session. Again, automated, of course. Um, And in there, it talks about, um, reminds them of their session date and time. It lets them know that they cannot be late, like not a choice, cannot be late because my sessions are back to back. And so if they're late, they lose their session. Um, so I never have people late, which is great. <laughs> yeah. And then I do give some extra like reminders that are included in my client experience guide just to kind of bullet point a few things um, about the way that they should dress, to bring bribe candy for their kids, things like that. So excellent communication is super important. And when you talk about that initial questionnaire, can you give some examples of the types of questions that you would ask? I mean, that, that maybe kind of go beyond what a lot of photographers might already consider putting in a questionnaire like that? Yeah. Um, I, of course, ask the kids names and ages because I love to be able to refer to them by name. I do ask if they've ever had professional photos done before. And if so, how the kids typically do. Um, That's helpful for me to know if it's going to be a little bit more challenging to keep their attention or if they're just naturally fine in front of a camera. I also ask if there's anything like special they want me to know about the family. And I do give some examples like if they're a blended family, if there are any special needs, needs, if there's any injuries that prevent them from being able to sit down or kneel. I've had several like foot and mouth moments where like it's a blended family and I didn't know that. Mm. And I refer to them as mom and dad. So I tell the kid, okay, go stand over by mom. And then they call them by their first name. I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) And (laughs) And I think I was more embarrassed, of course, than they were. They sure. brush it off and it's not a big deal. Sure. But that that's just not the best client experience that it could be. Right. And so for me, knowing ahead of time, and typically they're really open with sharing that kind of stuff in a questionnaire. So um, by knowing that ahead of time, it allows me to just be a little bit more prepared for the session um, than if I had not known. That totally makes sense. Yeah, I, that was something I mean, you mentioned questionnaires for wedding photographers. And that was certainly something that we used to do because you, you do, you run into those situations. I mean, a variety of situations, but certainly those with blended families. And the last thing that you want to do is step on any toes or create any uncomfortable right. moments for the client. So I think that's really important just to gain that information, have context ahead of time. Do you keep the answers to those questions in a format that's easily accessible on your phone while you're there at the shoot? Yeah, I used Absato for my questionnaire. So I get an email notification when they filled it out. So I can really easily search their name on my email. And there's the link that I can see all their answers super quickly. That's great. Okay, so you shared three. And and I think you mentioned that you've got four keys um, to these mini sessions. What is that last key? The last key, automate whenever you can. Yes. I feel like that's like the the anthem of this episode, automate your mini sessions. Um, but I am just such a huge believer in automation. Again, I was forced into it because I didn't have the time yeah. to sit there and send all my clients, you know, their contracts and invoices and all things. And so um, I'm a huge believer in automation. I've I used Absato and I've found that it's the best um, when it comes to automation, hands down. Um, it could be a little bit complicated because it has so many, you know, powerful features with automation, sure, but sure. I I love it. I couldn't live without it. Well this has been I, I think one of the most practical 
episodes that we've that we've done in a while. I mean, this is there's such great actionable information here for all of our listeners, and you know whether. You all listening in are wanting to, to switch up your business model and go the direction of mini sessions for the reasons that Rebecca shared, or you're just wanting to generate some additional income. Um, Rebecca, this has been really, really great, very, very helpful information uh, for our listeners. I really appreciate you sharing all of this. And, and I'd love for you to have the opportunity, not just to kind of reiterate where your social media and website are, but also talk about your Facebook community and any other resources you think our listeners might uh, want to know about. Yeah. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at Rebecca Rice Photography. That's where I'm most active. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Rebecca Rice Photography, not as active on there, um, on my actual page. Sure. And then my website is RebeccaRicePhoto.com. I have tons of resources, um, free resources about mini sessions on my blog. So you can g- hop into that rabbit hole if you want to. <laughs> um, and uh, I do have a free class available about mini sessions. Anybody wants to like this to the next level, it's RebeccaRicePhoto.com slash free class. So super simple to find. Cool. And we'll actually put all of this in the show notes at BocaPodcast.com. So if you're listening to this episode in the car right now, for example, just go to BocaPodcast.com. If this episode happens to be in the past, all you have to do is just search Rebecca Rice. The episode will come up. You can go to the show notes, just click on the the uh, title or the header there to that episode. It'll take you to the page. You can see the... the um, show notes there for this particular episode. And uh, it's been a really wonderful one. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for making time for all of us today. Of course. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, photographers, for listening to the Boca podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at bocapodcast.com. Make sure to visit our sponsors, photographersedit.com, custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.